welcome to Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. Our guest this week is my friend and colleague, Bennett Kane. Bennett's the Director of Production Services for HBO, bringing 11 years of production and 17 years of post-production experience to the table. He was among the first crop of union onset DIT or digital imaging technicians, and he was on the front lines of the transition from film to digital cinema production. At HBO, Bennett is one of the founders of the Verification Lab, an industry-unique boutique post-production facility tasked with identifying and fixing problems in archival picture masters for all HBO original programming. Currently, he lives in Brooklyn, New York with his partner and cat and has a passion for cycling, cinema, and roaming the earth, having traveled in over 60 countries. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen, here with our very special guest, Bennett Kane, who is currently the Director of Production Services for HBO. We're going to get into some interesting topics today. It's a warm New York morning. Let's get into it. Good morning and welcome, Bennett. Hey, Tom. Great to be here. Thanks. So, uh, Director of Production Services at HBO, tell me what that is and um, how did you end up there doing this? Um, yeah, so so what I actually do as Director of Production Services doesn't service production like you might think completely, uh, at least not yet. Uh, what I'm what I'm doing um, right now is I'm I'm running the verification lab, which is um, something that I uh, was involved in establishing about five years ago at the company. It is a um, industry unique boutique post production facility within the company where we are tasked with basically doing really high level QC on the archival picture masters for all the the company's um, original programming. So we, uh, in our, in our facility, we have a pretty big tool set where we do really rigorous qualification on, um, all of these picture masters. We identify problems, uh, with them that would, um, make remastering or reuse that file set harder. Uh, we work with, um, all the major players in the, the, um, post-production facility side to kind of fix a lot of this stuff and ensure that everything that we're getting from them is uh, is to our uh, specification. And um, and for now, like once once these masters have gone through the paces and everyone is um, happy and confident with them, we uh, we lay them off to um, LTO Archive. Gotcha. Yeah, for now. Probably going to cloud soon. To the cloud, yeah. where the magic happens. Yeah. So, so let's back up a little bit. Tell me, how long have you been doing this job, and how did you like find yourself in this role? Like, yeah. what was the? How did Bennett end up uh, doing what he's doing now? Uh, through a very long and convoluted um, path, you know, which is very typical of this business. Um, I, I I joined HBO staff about five years ago, and uh, prior to that, I was um, a digital imaging technician. Uh, in production. So I um, did a lot of television shows. I was uh, like kind of in that like first wave of uh, DITs, digital imaging technicians that um, were kind of on the front lines of the transition from uh, film capture to digital capture, digital mm-hmm. cinema. So I was working with post facilities daily in that career. And um, I was basically kind of like, so the DIT is really kind of go between the production and post-production. So I, I learned a lot about color science, 
color management, image, everything, compression, acquisition, transcoding, you know, you name it. It's all, it's, you know, you're dealing with like production technology and then you're having to kind of shepherd that, the fruits of that into post-production. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a real education. And, um, and then I, you know, working like 60, 70 hours a week on TV sets, you know, on street corners in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I just kind of decided that uh, that had run its course. I could take that from my box <laughs> and just wanted something a little bit more uh, civilized, so to speak. So I, um, yeah, I walked away from that, traveled for a year. It was a wonderful experience. And, um, and then when I came back, you know, I was really kind of trying to f- figure out, like, you know, where these skills would fit into an organization and it, this gig at HBO just kind of came out of nowhere that I, you know, I was, you know, it was kind of like a dream fit for my, what, you know, what I could bring to the table, mm-hmm. this, you know, really great opportunity to um, create this thing that is, that is unique in the industry. No one is doing that. So, um, you know, we went from uh, a half rack of gear to three and a half racks of gear, <laughs> like, you know, much of which is in a climate c- controlled machine room and 15, 16 workstations, but bigger staff. Yeah, so you know, I was brought on to kind of um, flesh it out and get it going, and now I'm now I'm running it. So um, yeah, it, it's it's really um, really worked out very well. Yeah, it's always fun yeah, to yeah. be at the beginning of something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, so let's back up for a second. I briefly worked in television. I don't yeah. even know if you know that. Um, most of the stories I have probably are not safe for work, um, but specifically, <laughs> well, mine aren't either. That's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Specifically, when you were talking about, um, so they were, they must have been shooting, they're not shooting 35 anymore or shooting video. They're actually shooting like whatever, Alexa. And yeah, like, a lot of Venice. Venice is really kind of taken over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so when I started, it was, um, I'll give you a little like anecdote. So when I, when I was in film school um, in the early 2000s, I, um, I bought a Panasonic DVX100 mm-hmm. as to shoot my, my senior thesis. And, um, and I, you know, I came to New York, like every film school graduate thinking that, you know, it is, there was, I was going to just like make my way as a writer director. And, uh, of course, reality, uh, smacked that down, uh, very quickly, and, uh, you know, after kind of like PAing and in doing internships and all this other stuff, you know, I, um, I fell in with this, uh, company in the East village that, uh, is now huge. Can't remember. B, B Street, maybe. I don't know. Anyways, it, they, they do like Pawn Stars mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But it was like they were in a, a basement, uh, illegal apartment in on Avenue B in, uh, in the East Village. And uh, and I was I was doing some some like minion work for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they found out that I, I, that I had that DVX 100. And they were like, what are you doing? They're like, you know, you can make like three times what you're making now, you know, shooting. So, um, that's how I got into camera. <laughs> so I, you had the camera. <laughs> because I had the camera exactly. And it was like totally accidental, but, um, you know, I, so I started, um, doing a lot of like ENG shooting, like, you know, kind of like run and gun red carpets ended up working for VH1 news, doing like pop culture stuff, started shooting interviews, learned how to light, uh, learned, you know, like how to shoot on beta cam, which, mm-hmm. was, still, which was still a thing. Then. Some beta cam. Yeah. Yeah. So, beta. Yeah. I became yeah. like a bit like a beta cam guy. 
um, and started do like shooting like nonfiction stuff for like Discovery and uh, Travel Channel, Food Network, a bunch of stuff like that. And then um, started doing multicam, which was a lot more complicated and learned how to uh, engineer video cameras, video systems. And right around then was when people started taking digital seriously in high-end production. So, um, you know, Sony F23 uh, was, was a thing, the Pan Panavision Genesis, like first-gen uh, Aerie D20, like, like first-gen uh, digital cinema uh, tools. I was just very intrigued and excited and also kind of sick of like working on like some like real low budget, low rent crap. <laughs> So learned, I learned, yeah. uh, learned, learned this stuff and, um, got in the union and, uh, did that for a long time and learned a ton and, and all, and all that, all that stuff, um, you know, it all informs what I'm doing now. Yeah. It probably makes you super valuable because you understand what the people are doing who are, you know, way before you in the supply chain. Exactly. And, and you see, and like what I'm doing with the ver verification lab used to be like in post post delivery and like operations and then it was in archives and so i think why they stuck me in production services is because i'm you know i'm gonna start getting more involved with that again mm -hmm. you know which is exciting i do miss uh miss some of that like front lines action i didn't realize you spent so much time behind the camera so i mean yeah. i like i only did stuff like that for maybe a year and a half and none of it was as important as the work you were doing i was mostly like you know whatever running errands delivering videotapes getting yelled at you know all the stuff you do when you start all the things yeah i, I quickly realized that they just that they weren't like my people um and i worked actually on even like lower end stuff than you did uh, i won't <laughs> say the names of any of the shows or commercials but but I did have some like really interesting experiences. And like I met Jose Canseco randomly because somehow I got stuck behind a camera and they're like, we want you to shoot this. And he was like one of my heroes from when I was a kid. So that was super weird. Um, I, anyway, I have like a bunch of like interesting stuff that happened, but tell me like, if you go back through the memory banks, what is like the craziest thing that happened to you when you were working in TV production that um, is safe for work? Safe for work. I want to make sure oh, I stipulate right, that, right? Jeez, uh, oh. so so many things, so many things. <laughs> it's like never a dull moment. I, when you're kind of yeah, work. Oh yeah, this teamster. Um, was, <laughs> I, I'm assuming he was he was drunk, but like he showed up. He was driving our camera truck, and you know he showed up and like everybody knew that this guy was was like off was trouble and, uh, and uh and he ended up um driving uh another vehicle not our truck thank, thank goodness into a um high fire hydrant and, oh my god and, did it like bust and it, open? It, it, it blew up like in the most <laughs> like spectacular way conceivable and it was like one of these moments where like everything literally everything just like unraveled at once uh -huh. like then like some like some more stuff fell over and like it was like it was just like utter pandemonium and uh there was no there there was no recovering from that i i mean there was it, it was the most spectacular uh collapse of a film set i i think i've ever seen and uh yeah so they, everybody got wrapped early that night that, which was, that was, yeah, which was nice that. because it was like three o'clock in the morning on a um, on a Friday, which is uh something that uh, a very unfortunate aspect of television production where you start your 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 day at like friday 
like, you know, 6, 7 p.m. And, you know, you're um, drinking beers on the truck at like 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> with Next after day. when they wrap you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's brutal. What a life. I still remember when they were like, hey, Tom, can you, um, we've got like, we're going to let you yeah. drive the van home. So you don't have to go back to base camp and get your car. You can just drive the van home. And I'm like, wow, that's really nice because it's like midnight, exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, that's just so I can be back at 3.30 before everyone else because you need all the stuff in this van. <laughs> Wait a minute. This isn't a good deal for me. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it's yeah. definitely not fair. <laughs> I mean, the I feel like like if, if I look at the whole thing as like a portfolio of life experience, the highs were definitely worth the lows. But yeah, I don't think yeah. I would have. Oh, for sure. I, yeah, no regrets. It's, I don't think uh, I would have wanted to continue to experience those lows in exchange for those highs. Like there was a finite amount of time that I was able, and I know people. I mean, my age that are still doing this. Oh, know. me too. Yeah, no, it's 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 a, it's a circus. It's like it really is a circus. I mean, everybody is highly skilled, but also like kind of a like band of misfits, mm-hmm. like highly skilled, incredibly talented misfits, like in a circus. Yeah, like you, the trucks roll in. You bring everything in a whirlwind. Everything comes off the truck. The tent goes up. You do a little performance. Tent goes down, back in the truck, yeah, off to the next Off circuit. to the next town. Three or four times in a, you know, 13, 14 hour day. Yeah. It, um, it is, in, in my case, it was a recipe for guaranteed burnout. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, was some I'm very, days. very pleased to uh, no longer be spending my, my time that way. All right, so you joined HBO. Um, obviously, well, now there's some other rumblings in the news, but you know there was there was a big acquisition, um, change of management, etc. Um, then you guys also built like one of the most amazing buildings ever built in the history of forever. I think I've been there. It's yeah, amazing. It's, it's right? impressive. It's I can't a, remember if I saw you that day, but I saw I think who was your corporate boss opulence. And we're like upstairs, and yeah. there's that Starbucks up there. And yeah, it was unbelievable. Well, it's also like the loneliest building in New York City now. You know, you go in there, and I go in, you know, a couple times a week, and I'm like the only person on the 39th floor. There's like you know a cleaning person and a couple of a couple of yeah, these it's guys like out of some movie, right? So yeah. then there's this yeah, like crazy. I mean, the whole pandemic thing is out of some movies. So they have this idea, and they, you know, obviously AT&T and Warner wasn't the only company, but I mean, Universal did something similar when Comcast bought the booth. They're like, okay, we're going to we're gonna have this big thing and everyone's going to be in it. And then I'm sure you know in Burbank, they started construction on like probably what's going to be like the most amazing yeah. building in all of Burbank. And there's not even really any skyscrapers near there. I can't remember what the name of it, you know, it's called like the 2020 Project or whatever. It's enormous. So then, right as that happens, <clears throat> the whole world ends, and you've got to stay home the whole time. So tell me, like, what was that like for you? Do you have lots of colleagues that you were interacting with in person every day? I know oh, yeah. you were definitely doing the work in person. So how did you guys adapt? Yeah, so um, there was a lot of, um, you know, necessity being the mother of ingenuity, um, a lot of... Uh, actually really positive productivity kind of developed out of all of this. So yeah, before, you know, we, it was uh, very much like a kind of nine to five operation. So, um, you know, we we go in, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of physical media. So, uh, you know, the goal is to get 
you know, as much of this into the cloud as possible. But, you know, for now, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with seven or eight petabytes of data per year on average, you know, so it's an enormous volume. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, all this media comes in on shuttle drives and then it, it all, excuse me, it all gets, uh, archived LTO. So, you know, like that physical <clears throat> media component of this, um, you have to have some on-prem, um, you know, we've got it worked out where like everybody on the team goes in one day a week and it, and it all works out. But, um, you know, they're still like doing all, all the work on these file sets. Um, we didn't have a way to do that uh, remotely before this happened. So, you know, the um, engineering team at uh, Hudson Yards, you know, they, they were working on this anyway. So it was kind of good timing, but they spun up um, like a really robust VDI pool mm -hmm. and a lot of resources. And um, it mostly works very well. So, you know, now um, it's uh, and it's great for the, the LTO technicians because now they can get into they can remote into those um, LTO boxes whenever they want. And they, so they so now it's like the, there's no idle time on, mm -hmm. on those machines. So it's like our, our output <coughs> is actually gone. Wait, we're like we're turning stuff around like twice as fast as we were before, you know, and then from the home office, you can do. Um, a lot of this QC work, you know, you can work on, on files. We're running Resolve in the cloud, which is, has been tremendously awesome. Um, yeah, so it's like, um, you know, kind of uh, lemons and lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it certainly is, has been beneficial in the long run. Seems like it kind of, I mean, you guys were already... I think Warner was already headed towards one day a week of remote work and obviously yeah, yeah. they had a very cloud forward strategy already. So it seems yeah. like you guys were better positioned probably than some of your competition in terms of like when the hammer came down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perhaps you had no choice. Yeah, you guys yeah. like did it pretty quick. It yeah. Pretty yeah. Cool. Yeah. And there's even more push. I mean, like, you know, we all have change fatigue at this point, mm -hmm. you know, with like all the drama, you know, uh -huh. AT &T and yeah. now, you know, discovery, um, they AT&T was pushing really hard to like get everybody in the cloud. So now that there's been yet another re regime change, we'll see. But, um, you know, like in times like this, where, um, your management changes like on a quarterly basis, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, best thing to do is just do your job yeah. <laughs> and just show up, show up and get it done and, uh, roll with the punches. And then what's the, you guys are, <clears throat> there's no chance you guys are returning to regular office life anytime. I've heard like soft targets for like, you know, getting people back in like around September, but yeah. I don't think it's ever, I don't think there's ever going to be like a mandate, you know, like you got to be there yeah. three days a week or whatever. So, I mean, I, it's, I mean, now that I'm, you know, so like dug into this remote thing, like on, on my office days, I, they're less productive because I'm spending like, you know, a couple of hours commuting and you mm -hmm. know, getting in and out of that enormous building and setting up and, you know, walking around more, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like this, you know, we're kind of like, not really like working at home anymore. We're kind of living at work, but you know, when you've got a lot to do, it's helps having on that extra time helps get it done. Yeah. For me, it all depends on what I'm trying to accomplish. I feel like 
meetings, trying to collaborate with like more than three really smart people is easier in person, in my opinion. Sure. And the one thing, you know, we're trying to work out is um, when you bring somebody in, that's maybe not a hundred percent experienced in the work that they're doing or like kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like assimilated into the culture of whatever your individual team is. It's uh, it's a little bit tougher because that certainly can happen remotely, but it's a little bit faster if, mm-hmm. if you're uh, if you're all together. But right. yeah, I think the quality of life benefits of not asking people to spend so much time. Um, I mean, in our case, in the car every day, in your case, there's like a lot of like walking and subway mm-hmm. and delayed trains. And then, of course, you know, getting into the building you work in is that's a whole it's, even pre pandemic. It's, it's like 12 minutes. It's like yeah. 12 minutes to like get from like mm-hmm. the the um, Hudson Yards uh, subway yeah. to my desk. So it's like, it, I mean, yes, it is an enormous. And that's building. even, you know, you've got a badge and everything and you're badging in, but it's yeah. still like, yeah, you've got to get all the way up there. Yeah. And so on and so forth. Yeah. So, so long-term you feel like there'll probably never be like a full return, but no, I don't see that happening. I, I, I you know, I think that they, um, I think every company has learned that people can be super productive working from home. So like, you know, um, I don't know. People may like to have a day that they go in because mm-hmm. it just breaks the week up. You know, like I go in, like I try to go in like middle of the week because it's just a, it's a change of scenery, you know, yeah. and it gets you out, you know, you can have like have lunch in the city, you know, and event and so, you know, soon I think things are getting back to normal enough where you can, can be like how it used to be, you know, where you're, you're in Manhattan and, um, you know, it's just spontaneous, you know, you bump into friends, you go to see a movie, like, you know, that's the thing, like, COVID killed spontaneity. Yes, 100%. <laughs> that's, that's that's what it really just destroyed. So, like, you know, I think that some of that will come back eventually. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about a lot is that I guess you can meet in person and it doesn't have to be in the office. So I wonder if one compromise that, like, the modern, the new, the post-COVID workplace, you know, is going to offer is, like, is it acceptable then to meet your colleague or group of colleagues somewhere other than the office but still in person because i think if you if one thinks about that it could certainly be more efficient Mm -hmm. especially like i mean here it's all about how long how many trains you have to take in la it's all about if the freeways are jammed or not but one way or another if there are two or three of you that are close but the office is somewhere far away. It seems like now there should be some middle ground where we'll want right. you guys all just meet, you know, you know, somewhere that's actually convenient to where yeah, the yeah. home office is. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look to the, wait a minute, you visited 60 countries. I was reading your bio earlier. Um, okay. That's a lot of countries. I mean, if you went to one a month, that was like, that's like five years. Right? Yeah. Tell me I, how you did this. Well, so um, I did some study abroads in, uh, in college a year in japan and I, I did another one in france so when i was in both those places i you know i visited some other countries while mm-hmm. i was there use that time yeah i just like you know i've always loved immersing in other cultures it's like it's just such a enriching experience mm-hmm. and um yeah so when i had my like tv burnout <laughs> meltdown, <laughs> i uh, was like i just gotta get out of it like I, like i knew that the only way i was going to extract myself from that component of the business was by making myself totally unavailable. Yeah. You know, because like thing is, is you know, when you're when you're rolling with the same like camera crews and you know, directors of photography, it's like there's just enormous amounts of pressure to like go to you know, do jobs with them. Yeah. And, and you know, these are great, 
amazing people, but they tend to be very persuasive. Yeah, one last time. <laughs> one last time. One this more time thing. it's going to yeah, be different. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's so, not going to be like the last time. It won't be like The money's a little bit better this time. <laughs> you, uh, yeah. you know it. Absolutely. So, Come on, so, man. Yeah, so I just like locked my apartment up and um, got a one-way flight to Hong Kong. Smart And man. Uh, yeah, no, I was you know gone for like almost seven months and just like visited a ton of countries. And, um, yeah, so it, like, you know, I just, I, I love, love traveling. I, and I, you know, I, I took a crack at being like a travel journalist and oh really yeah, documentary okay. photography. I was, I was kind of trying to do that in between what I was doing and what I'm doing now. And, you know, it's just, it's just really hard to make a real living doing that. So, yeah. Um, I know exactly one photographer that made it mm-hmm. and he's crushing, but yeah. only one. Yeah, yeah. The um, chance, the odds of success are. are I think it's. Uh, I think it's hard. I'm. That's yeah. something I'm really bad at. I can't take a photo to save my life. <laughs> I can't even make an iPhone photo look good. <laughs> um. All right. So Japan and France. Speak any Japanese? Speak I any do. French? Uh. Yeah, a little French, but. Just yeah. like, speaks Japanese. I'm like getting all kinds of good stuff from you today. So I speak a little French, but not okay. much. And Japanese, not at all. Those are <laughs> those are actually like two of my favorite. I don't know if you know this, but like Alex is super into Japan. Oh, I didn't know that. And has been there. His uh, partner's mom has been there a bunch of times. Okay. I just went there for the second place. time. Um, yeah. Like right before. So the December before all this happened, I almost didn't go. And I was like, you know what? You only live once. You never know what's going to happen. All that. Like the kind of like I have like a YOLO vibe. So I'm like, you know what? I'm this far down the road. Exactly. I'm going to go. And I decided I'm going to go it. for like two yeah. whole weeks. And I don't know how long it will be before I could ever take a trip like that again. Because I like, yep, exactly. I, I went, you know, to all these different places and did all these different. There's no better reason and, than that. You yeah. Know, the, 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 like, yeah, that's why. Like when I did that Asia trip, like that was just like, I was like, I'm never gonna have another opportunity like yeah. to, to do this. Like this is a, a career transition. I have the time, you know, I can afford to do this. So I just went for it. Yeah, you you gotta know? do it. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I have a friend who, um, they live in Santa Monica and Texas, but also Bangladesh, but also Japan. It's very complicated. He's in the textile business, but, um, his wife is Japanese. And so they were going to be there and we're like, oh, cool. We'll meet up and you can show us around your neighborhood in Tokyo and stuff. Again, this is all before the coronavirus and all this stuff that happened. And we're on the, we go to meet them at the subway right near their house. And we meet them at the subway station and they're wearing you know, these kind of like surgical, the blue yeah, surgical yeah. mask. And I like, I like feel about this big right now because of course I tease him a little bit. I was like, what's up with the surgical mask? You know, what's going on, man? That's East Asia. <clears throat> you know, they, they've been doing that for years. It's just, a, you know, it's because their cities are so densely populated. Yeah. You know, it's just like a matter of courtesy. You know, yeah. if you're not feeling well, you know, you wear a mask in public. You know, now it's, it's just like, it's almost like part of the like, it's like urban, it's like part of the urban uniform in their so culture. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like you know if you're in public, you just you know yeah. it's, it's like not polite to like be breathing all over people. Yeah, and for them, you I know? guess it was a hey, whenever we're somewhere yeah. where there are trains because people are so yeah. packed in, we just wear these masks. And I was like, you know, he kind of tried to explain it to me, and I like, you know, in my typical American way, I was like nodding, bro. I was like, <laughs> I don't really. Get it. And it's just so funny how now I've had like a crash course of like, hey, what happens, bro? Yeah, well, we don't do that. <laughs> You know, um, so yeah, that was definitely uh, eye-opening. Now, in France, did you go to Paris? Did you go elsewhere? Uh, I was 
so I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm-hmm. They, they have a campus um, in this little village called Lacoste, which is near like Aix-en-Provence. Okay. And um, it was very cool. Um, I, I, I lean more Asia. Okay. Like, it's just, it's a, you know, Europe is wonderful. I, I, I love visiting Europe. Um, but like, you know, Asia is just so dynamic mm-hmm. and inspiring. And, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, like first time I went to Japan, I felt like I was like, like visiting an alien world. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the so different. Culture like, shock. So different. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I think that's what like planted the bug for me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, man, like this is just such an amazing world we live in, you know, yeah. got to see it. Yeah, that was um, the only other place I've been in Asia is briefly to Indone- like one Indonesian island. So I would like to explore more, but yeah. Japan was it was a good entry level for me because I think there's enough cult- there's like that twenty percent culture overlap with yeah, American yeah. culture. That yeah, I mean, yeah. Because it was definitely like like you said, like stepping onto another planet. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Here? Yeah. Just from everything of like, I can't believe how clean this subway car. How is this possible? immaculate? Like, like the, how is this possible? Yeah, like like some of their like like Tokyo's like densest districts. Um, it's like everything is covered in tile. Like there's yeah. nothing. There's like not a single centimeter of natural anything. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's but it's like immaculately clean. Somehow super so, clean. and it's so brightly lit. So it's like you're in this like <laughs> it's like a like a giant like bathroom or something you know yeah, or like, like some doctor who yeah tardis vibe um like super clean bathroom that is then there was a i guess there was a some sort of like i mean terrorist is not the right word but like troublemaker who was like lighting garbage cans on fire blowing up garbage cans so i don't know if you notice this but also when you're outside so first somebody explained hey it's very rude to eat or drink something when you're walking yeah, down the yeah. street so i'm like cool let me not do that mm-hmm but then I'd have stuff I wanted to throw out and I'm just so used to being in any other city right. in any other country I've ever been. If you're outside and you're on a sidewalk, there's a, there's no trash cans. Yeah. So then I really was like, okay, how can there be no litter when there's no trash cans? And I guess it has to do with like just people's yeah, per- you take personal And also you don't, you don't eat or drink in public. So you're not, you're not like generating waste as you travel. Yes, exactly. You know, so it's like if you eat at a, like a yeah. convenience store or something, a ramen, mm-hmm. you know, stand, then you just throw away your stuff there. And then other stuff yeah. like everyone smokes, but you're not supposed to, and you can smoke inside if, if you know, if whatever, it's permitted based yeah, yeah. on where you are. But if you smoke outside, which lots of people do do, you don't want to be like, you're not supposed to like yeah. have people see you. And they take their butts with, with them too. Like, like yeah. all the smokers have got these like this little like, uh, box, little metal box that they like. They put them yeah, in. They, yeah. 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 Must, very, that must smell wonderful. Yeah, your very shirt fascinating culture. Yeah, it, it really is. In the uh, hotel I was staying in, um, one of the one of the times I uh, I wanted to like smoke a cigar, and the weather was not permitting. It was horrible, and and um, also I knew it was rude to like stand out in front, and I like wasn't going to go to some lounge. So like, all right, what do I do? So, um, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. In the convention center in the hotel, it was like, you know, big fancy hotel and stuff. There's this room that kind of looked like like what they uh, would beam you up on Star Trek. You know, it's like kind of a glass, like octagon. Yeah. And so I stood in there with two Japanese businessmen and they have this crazy fan. Yeah. And we're just like inside in this like, it, terrarium. It, right yeah. it was bizarre. Before it even has a chance to like get on the yeah. clothes. And I mean, inside, like, yeah. and when you stepped outside the room, you couldn't smell anything. Anyway, I don't know how we got down that route, but <laughs> like, 
like really, really fascinating culture. Yeah. I'm so glad that when I did that trip, I did it right. And I stayed for the two weeks because I mean, you know, based on the world, like quote unquote opening back up, I don't know how long it will be before I can have that Japan that experience. experience. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a while for sure. So very cool. All right. So as we look to the future, right? Like technologically, <clears throat> um, what are you excited about besides crypto? Cause I'm saving that for the end. <laughs> Yeah, crypto is uh, exciting and um, troubling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, well, uh, machine learning, gotcha. very, very interesting. I don't know a lot about it, but it's um, the like applications for like advanced video QC, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, deep learning on um, image sequences to kind of uh, smartly detect problems mm -hmm. because the ways of detecting problems now are not smart. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, that is super interesting. Um, any kind of like cloud computational stuff is, is very interesting. Um, decentralized applications that kind of ties into crypto. crypto yeah. Um, uh, upscale, upscaling technology, like mm -hmm. video compression. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, like so by upscaling, you mean the converse of compression, yeah, of like, so upscaling like the resolution any, and quality. any kind of like video transformation yep. I, is interesting. Um, just because I've been dealing with, with it for so long, you know, it's like this adage garbage in, garbage out mm -hmm. is like not as necessarily as true as it used to be. So, yeah, I feel like it's been so, uh, what's the, it's been so utility. So I was like, what I did when I started DZ Solutions was if you didn't know how to build a render farm because you didn't understand network distributed mm -hmm. computing and all you knew was video, I was like, okay, bring me your video and I'll bring you some hardware and software so that you can render these image sequences faster, mm -hmm. which at the time was difficult, right? Mm -hmm. It was like there weren't a lot of like well fleshed out tools to do it. And then I got, you know, built a bunch of transcoding forms. But I, I do agree with you that it seems like we're kind of turning the corner where it's like, okay, media transformation is a mm -hmm. thing. It exists. It works pretty well. Now we're becoming a little bit more, less hardware dependent because we can do it in, mm -hmm. you know, cloud environments. Yeah. And so, yeah, it seems like the next logical step is how can we use, like, some elevated software to, uh, I don't know, add value instead of just uh, be utilitarian. Mm -hmm. I never thought about because you could you could intelligently upress stuff if it could predict what pixel was supposed to be there if yeah. there were more pixels, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the like software upscaling in like Resolve, for for example, is like very sophisticated. It's pretty it's, good. It, it's it, like it's it's surprisingly good. Um, it's really kind of remarkable because yeah, that used to really be like a hardware thing, mm -hmm. you know. So um, yeah, I think with like smart video codecs and compression schemes, um, like, you know, uh, VVC, versatile video encoding, which is like has deep learning integrated, um, like next gen stuff like MPEG is working on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you can get some like very impressive results. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting too, like from a kind of archival or like getting things out of the out of archives back into um, distribution. You know, like you have all these really, really crummy formats, and mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's like extremely low quality um, acquisition and uh, preservation formats. So you know, with like machine learning and this media transformation technology, you know, it's, a lot of this stuff can really like have a new life. We could take some old. I mean, like I guess like this is like a pretty crude analogy, but colorization 
of movies, right? Where it's sure. like we could take something old and what we would now consider old and busted mm-hmm. that I'm sure was very cutting edge at the time. Sure. Transform it into something that um, modern, you know, the modern viewer would want to see. Mm-hmm. Besides being just hung up on like this looks really old. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff. And I'm not taking a stance on colorizing movies. Just, to, <laughs> just to be clear, I know that's like, I mean, like you said, you went, you went to film school, and yeah. I know that's a controversial topic. But this, the same idea of like, yeah, taking something old and making it new again. Question for you. Um, in LA, everyone hates driving. They spend a lot of their time doing it. So everything comes back to like, what kind of car do you have? How often do you drive? Blah, blah, blah. What is your, what, as a New Yorker, right? What is your, you own no car, right? Uh, or do you guys? No, we do have a car. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Did you use that to go out of the city or um, get groceries? Or? Yeah, groceries, uh, you know, dealing with pets. <laughs> Gotcha. Um, yeah, and also, yeah, and also, just getting out of town for the weekend. You know, go like go um, up to the Catskills to hike, um, go to the beach. It's actually, um, I w- it's not, yeah, like no, unless you live like you know way like like deeper into the boroughs. Most most people like really don't use cars to commute. It's mm-hmm. more for just kind of like getting around. It's like an accessory. Yeah, yeah. Nice yeah there are, are so um, I've spent a lot of time not having a vehicle. In, in in New York, I've lived in Brooklyn for mo- most of my time here, um, and it's it's yeah, it's you know definitely don't need a car. So does like, know? what do you think about self driving cars? Because because a car isn't so integrated into like what New Yorkers are as a human. I mean, in LA, like I've literally like we joke that are I'll be like, hey, do you have blah blah blah? And I'll be like, no, it's in my handbag. Yeah. And my handbag is the car, and the car is the handbag. Yeah. It's, it goes everywhere I go. Right. Do you guys have interest in that? Like, what do you like? What do you think that would be like? Or self self driving car? Um, yeah. I think it's it's it'll. I mean, you'll see it definitely. Like in, I think for like taxis and car service, mm-hmm. like car service, um, that kind of thing. I like, yeah, like even having like an electric car is not really practical because you there's no unless you have a unless you're like one of these rare people that has your own driveway or garage. Right. You're, you know, you're most likely street parking, or maybe, yeah, or maybe your spot, maybe you're paying there. for a spot that's like six blocks away. Yeah. So, like, you know, yeah. there was this guy, this neighbor of mine, who uh, had a Tesla, and he must have had like 500 feet of extension cord. I mean, like, like he would, you know, he would. Did he, he park on the street? He, yeah, he street park. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he, and he threw a, a, an extension cord out out his like the uh, third floor apartment. And like, <laughs> like joined it to another one and another one, and find like to finally reach his Tesla, which was like a block and a half away. Wow! So I mean, it's like people go to That's very un- un- unusual yeah. lengths to uh, to do these things. But um, yeah, uh, now I feel guilty. I didn't want to get an electric car because uh, my garage is all the way at the back mm-hmm. of the property, and I didn't know how I was going to get the extension cord all the way down the driveway. <laughs> this guy's running it three blocks down. Yeah. Yeah. Last couple of times I've, I've gone to LA, mm-hmm. I have not rented a car. Like I, I, and I call it the, the, uh, LA public transit challenge. Uh-huh. So you, you take the train. Yeah. So like that, like, I think it's the expo line. Yeah. Is that the, one that, goes, the one that goes to Santa Monica? Like, so goes by my house. Yeah. the thing is, is like, there's always like a mile or two at least like on the front of the your train and then on the other side of your train. So it's like so what I was doing is getting like a bird scooter or something mm-hmm. like to like get to the subway, then take 
take the line out to as, as close as I could and then get a lift for like the last thing. And it's mm-hmm. still like, you know, you're, it's, it was like way cheaper than running a car. 100%. And, uh, and, the, and then you don't have to park it and you don't have to sit in traffic. So, yeah. Anytime that I have to go to downtown Los Angeles, because that is ultimately where at Union Station, right, is where everything terminates. Yeah. I always feel like the subway is the best way to go because getting in and out of downtown is a nightmare. Oh, yeah. And parking down there is yeah. impossible. So if you just like, and, and it's not even one of those things, even if you're like, I have unlimited money and I want a parking space, like if you're not going to a specific place that has its own parking, it doesn't matter how much money you have. If you can end up parking in some outdoor lot and paying a bunch of money and then oh, like, yeah. you're not really sure if your car is going to get broken <laughs> into you. So it's, and whenever I go to like Staples Center, Convention Center, stuff like that. Um, and you're right. It's the, what we're struggling with as a, like in LA as a society is we need better last mile transportation mm-hmm. and we're working on it. There's, we have something that is kind of like those city bikes. And I don't know if those city bikes are powered or not, but you have these like sort of powered, sort of not powered oh, like the, beach like, cruiser like bikes. Yeah, yeah. 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 They have the, like, like, like pedal assist. Mm-hmm. The problem with bird scooters is you put somebody like me on that thing and there's, you, you can't be guaranteed I'm going to survive. Um, <laughs> Cause I'm not going to wear a helmet. I'm going to wear headphones and you know, I still do it anyway because they're incredibly convenient. And also, I mean, they're obviously not popular here, but in LA they're like everywhere. They're like, everywhere. It like, takes you two seconds to find one. Um, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll take that offline with, uh, Alex who's listening in and is really into self-driving cars. So I am like, I'm going to die behind the wheel of operating my own car. It's, it's something I enjoy driving, not, not in LA. Traffic. And this is the one city I've never driven in. Well, I didn't drive in Tokyo, but I don't think I could have gotten a driver's license. Well, it's all they drive on the other side of the road yeah. too, which makes it even it's more weird. nuts. Yeah, um, driving here is like playing video games. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you just have to be like I have a friend razor who, focused and what, 360 degree awareness. He drove for years. I mean, he still does it like on a gig basis, but his full time job was delivering priceless works of art in an unmarked right because they don't want yeah, to draw yeah, attention yeah, to yeah, it. I know it's like cute yeah. truck. Yeah. In Manhattan. And I'm like, bro, you're driving with like millions of dollars worth of stuff in the back of a beat down cute truck through Manhattan traffic. I'm like, I don't understand that nobody even stays in their lane. And I, he had that. I wish huh. I could remember exactly what he said, but his description was because nobody can get going too fast. Accidents here, generally speaking, aren't that serious. And he goes, you know, when you're on the streets, it just takes a while. And he said on the avenues, you all just kind of get together and just push yeah. forward. And he's like, it just kind of works. And I was like, yeah. It's like, it's like salmon, like, yeah. Like going upstream to breed or something. Yeah. There's definitely like a real flow. Yeah. It's like some it. kind of, yeah. there's some kind of Zen. <laughs> so totally. It, you know? Yeah. It's um, like collective unconscious. All right. So speaking of New York and cryptocurrency, which we weren't, but now let's talk about that. Elon Musk, SNL. I got into crypto only like three months ago. Okay. Sounds like you've been in it much longer. Not that much. More. I, I uh, you know, it's just like I, I, it's been on my radar for forever. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I remember hearing about Bitcoin like 2009. Yeah. And like um, just seemed kind of like like a joke or a spoof or like mm-hmm. you know. But um, yeah, I know people who um, very wealthy because they were, were early adopters and they were and they mined mm-hmm. back when you could mine with like gaming PCs. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I um, I just got I just started buying like a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which is like like still way too late. Yeah. So, 
there's definitely one of those things where it's like, I mean, you know, it's investing and it's, it's you got to do it or you don't. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I didn't like, I, uh, I, I knew I should, I knew it was something I should have gotten into sooner, but um, it's like, it's absolutely fascinating. It's just this concept of like agreed upon value that is completely outside of the traditional kind of levers of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, um, my whole reason for not investing in it was I was like, I want a government with a large military that insists that this is still worth something. And what I realized a few months ago was, um, I'm going to choose my words carefully here. When you start to wonder if you trust the one that is that you have, maybe buying just a little bit of something else huh. might not be the worst. Oh, idea. totally. Yeah, um, yeah. So I almost did it as a hedge against like, what if... What if all the stuff I yeah, already yeah. have was not worth anything? What would be worth something? Something, I, right? Yeah. I was always a fan of well, real estate, but I don't know. That's like, I mean, hey, in Manhattan, I told you my daughter just yeah. rented an apartment in Soho for the stupid lowest price I've ever seen. And then uh, in Texas, their market's up like 40%. So I don't, the real estate market is also it's, totally it's, crazy. It's kind of crazy. Like it's, there really isn't, I think like a sure bet yeah on anything anymore so yeah. it's like you know i think it is it is every every investment choice is is a kind of a hedge you know so um yeah diversification is is the way to go and, and with the you know cryptocurrency is um, dynamic and it's growing so you know you could sink that money into some some kind of equity you know and maybe get a good return in four or five years mm-hmm. you know or you could make a lot more with that same money, time, but yeah. like day trading crypto, you know, and like, I think like, you know, research is the name of the game. Uh, you know, a lot of these coins are, are just garbage and they're going to fail, you know? So you're so, saying pig finance wasn't a good guy. <laughs> hey, I made a few bucks on that. Yeah. There's, I mean, the thing is, so. it's, you could still make, you know, some money off the, off the, um, you know, the, the, I'm not gonna say the, the you know the S coins, SH coins. Yeah. Well, I was uh, like, the, uh, I was jumping on the yeah. the wave up, and so my strategy was, I'm gonna buy this, I'm gonna sell half of it when it gets to a certain amount, mm-hmm. and then I'll keep the rest. And the keep the rest part's not working out because the rest is like not worth anything. Right. So. Well, you know, the the market recently did pretty much just yeah. crash. So it's yeah. like, you know, but it's like the thing is, is that it's um. If you look at the if you look at the graph over time, it's going up. Everything's going up. Yep. You know what I mean? But right, it's just sure. highly, highly unstable. Yeah. So you know, it's um, it's definitely like not for the faint of heart. But um, I do think that it's um, the long term value is enormous. Um, and the, like the thing is, is like like sure, everybody wants to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but like I'm I'm like super passionate about the actual technology. You know, like that's what's so cool about this is like. You know, like Ethereum is just amazing tech. Bitcoin is digital gold. Ethereum is like digital oil, you know, that like fuels this like DeFi ecosystem. And, um, you know, smart contracts, like there's so many applications outside of these tokens, Um, you know, like verification of authenticity for like video, you know, like, like so that you know, has enormous applications in journalism, you Mm -hmm. know, and like um, to like guarantee, you know, what, like who had the video when and like what they did to it, you know, that that could be immutably written into a blockchain. And, you know, so that could really be helpful in, um, 
working against like deep fake video technology, which is like only going to get yeah, it's more, already more sophisticated incredible. and more more prevalent. You know? yeah. So like it's um you know election security like like it's it's really it's it's very very cool. I thought the um this is like NTF slash but the whole I was listening to a podcast with what's the guy he's a professor at Stern NYU. Oh, Dr. I know what you're talking about. Dr. Yeah. yeah, something like that. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know the guy I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a guest the other day that was talking about, hey, like, people are looking at NTFs all wrong. He's like, the whole idea of authenticating a piece of art or a baseball card is cool, but he's like, actually, as a contract vehicle, they're super useful because you can have some sort of, con- like, maybe you are, a bunch of you are writing an app together, mm-hmm. and he's like, this provides a way that you can have fractional ownership in a thing mm-hmm. and it's all digital. So you don't need a bunch of lawyers and accountants to figure out how much your share is worth because like the technology yeah, yeah. is yeah, doing yeah. it for you. And the, in the, the, like in the, the smart contract auto executes. Mm-hmm. So like, there's no, if it's in the smart contract to like to pay out yeah, you this person at, at, by this date, there's no way to like block stop yes, that from happening exactly so um you know that's that's pretty remarkable and also maybe potentially dangerous because what if you wrote some kind of programming for like you know some kind of like weapon system right into that that there was and then there was actually like no way to defuse to like yeah, yeah. to like turn the program off yeah so you know it's uh all this tech is um well that's the, the world that's the terrifying aspect and why I think we have to like, we just have to make sure we innovate the checks and balances as fast as we innovate the features and benefits. Otherwise, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to end up in an Arthur C. Clarke novel. You know? Yeah, not, so. not, not this year. Um, all right, well, listen, we're about out of time. Sure. I super appreciate you doing this. Thanks it was really me. nice to talk to another human being in person, fully <laughs> vaccinated and whatnot. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, Same. What are you, uh, so what are you guys doing this weekend? Are you taking that car out or what's the plan? Um, yeah, I think we're going to go, um, go up to, uh, it's this great hike in the, the Catskills, it's perfect hiking weather here in the, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's warmer than one might think, but it's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not hot enough, mm-hmm. uh, to be uncomfortable and it's, it's cooler up in those mountains. So it's great hiking weather. So yeah, we'll probably, um, probably go up and hike and, you know, just recover from this like work from home grind. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how like yeah. go, being at home now is like it's being exhausting. It's exhausting. I I get um I get like I call it like Zoom brain. You know, it's mm-hmm. like where like you're on video calls all day long, and it's like my eyes like def- like they're like defocused mm-hmm. by the end of the day. Like you know, my head hurts. It's like my ears ring. It's just like it's like completely zapped. Yeah, from from the whole thing. Different kind yeah. of uh, kind of worn out. I always yeah. try to like leave ten minutes. Sometimes I'll just walk around the block three times. Yeah, I do that a lot. Anything? Yeah, like go for it. yeah, go for a walk. Go. You see, you guys have air. pets. You have dogs. You take them on a hike or anything? Um, oh, we had a, a very sweet little dog that recently passed. Oh, I'm sorry. But we, we we have a um, an ancient cat. Okay, <laughs> probably probably the reaper's coming for her next. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, she's a very sweet cat, um, and uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we we're definitely like it's too soon for like another dog. But I get that. Yeah, we're yeah, but, yeah, yeah, we're both like we're both animal lovers, mm-hmm. so yeah. And you know, and when you're working from home, it's like for them, it's awesome. You know, like like having having, yeah. having people around all the time. Yeah. You know, 
they're like, oh, that's the they're like super stoked. There's pretty much nothing I like about working from home. I've always been aware yeah. of the office person because I have difficulty separating the two worlds. So if I go to an office, then when I leave, then I can turn the work part of my brain off. But the being at home with the dog all day is so awesome. It is like the greatest thing ever. So for me, that's like the biggest, uh, biggest, biggest upside. Yeah, totally. So what's the name of the place we're going today? Keens. Yeah, we're going to Keens. All right, which is a. Um, was a gentleman's pipe smoking club <laughs> in Midtown. Uh, let me get a, a date here because it's it's really old. Uh, 1885. 1885. 1885 Theater District. It's uh, filled with historic memorabilia and stories. So we got to make sure to uh, uh, give our server an extra twenty bucks for the for the tour. Mm-hmm. All the portraits and uh, nice. and stories. They've got a really good Abraham Lincoln story. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, 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 and very, uh, very good steak. So sounds good. Super stoked. Little plug for Keens there. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, what do you? That was spontaneous. <laughs> we, were, we received no compensation from Keens for this. Not even a fr- not even a free lunch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Bennett, thanks a lot. Yeah, I really you, appreciate Tom. you doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, here in uh, our fine studios in uh, Borderline Hills Kitchen, Port Authority <laughs> Bus Terminal, we're looking good. And um, yeah, good luck to you. And you know, we'll we'll be checking in, see how it goes when you uh, you know things start to get back to normal. For uh, those of you that are listening to this much later in the, you know in history. Um, Wednesday, which was two days ago, was when uh, Manhattan started like lifting a bunch of the um, mask requirements. So we're still wearing masks in elevators and inside and stuff. But uh, New York City is definitely open for business. So it's a really fun and exciting place to be right now. So. Bringing back to life. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Bennett. Yeah, and thank uh, this is Tom G and Bennett Kane signing out. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks again for joining this week's episode of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. I want to thank Jason Johnson for composing our theme music, RSPE, and especially Russ for help with some engineering and equipment, Dell Technologies for helping sponsor some episodes of the podcast, Kayla Robeson, DZ Solutions Marketing Director for helping make this all possible, and last but not least, our fearless audio engineer, Jeff Rockland, engineering from afar. If you want to learn more about Jeff and his projects, I encourage you to check out his Relief Valve podcast that you can find wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again, and see you next time.